Agents Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Espresso Agent. The key to success in real estate is confidence, especially when it comes time to call prospects. Espresso Agent gives you that confidence with the best for sale by owners and expired contacts delivered directly to your inbox seven days a week. Up to 90% of our contacts have phone numbers and the most cell phone numbers on the market. Every day, you can dial with confidence when you dial with Espresso Agent. Visit EspressoAgent.com forward slash agents. Okay, welcome back, Lab Coat Agents, to the Lab Coat Agents podcast. And I'm excited today because I'm bringing on a guest that uh, I met uh, about uh, three minutes ago. And we're talking to somebody today who has the expertise on investing. And we were just talking about before we even went into this, before we started recording, about how, you know, going into this uncertain time during quarantine, during this pandemic, how so many of us have probably stopped for a second and said, damn it, I should be better at stashing my cash. I should be better at investing. I should be better at creating other opportunities for wealth for myself. And that's why we thought bringing on this gentleman, investment guru, author of a book, ironically called How to Stash the Cash, uh, who has also turned uh, old thinking on its head with the ultimate liquidity portfolio, which is an investment strategy. Uh, a gentleman who uh, has has a history with Goldman Sachs and Bridgewater Associates alum, a Harvard Business School trained investment expert. You heard that right, Harvard Business School. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chris Kawaja to the uh, to the podcast. Welcome, my friend. Jeff, thanks for having me on, and thanks for everything you're doing with your podcast. I love it, and you've built a great community. Awesome, man. It's great great to have you here. So uh, I'm going to obviously assume I don't know you. I'm going to assume that our audience doesn't know you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you came up in business, where you come from, those sort of things, so we get to know a little bit about who you are. Sure. So I was born in Canada, and I was born into a business family. My father had been a professor, and by the time he had his second kid, my mom took him aside and said, you're measly professor's salary ain't going to pay the bills, so you got to go find something else to do. He first started consulting on the side, then became an entrepreneur, and I grew up in an entrepreneurial family with all the whipsawing that happens in that. It turned out he was a finance professor, and so as part of my training, I really understood business from a financial and investing perspective, and that's something that just planted a seed in me. When I was 17, I had a year and an extra year of high school left. Canada had five years of high school back then. And I just decided to wing it and apply. I said, look, I'm going to apply to some American schools. And if I get into one of the really good ones, I'm going to go. I got into Stanford. I went and visited. I left home. It was negative degrees outside. And I arrived at Stanford and there were people in bikinis. So that's why I decided to go there. It wasn't the world's most logical or educated type decision, but it turned out pretty well. So from there, I studied economics. In psychology, I went and worked on Wall Street for a couple of years, went back to business school, went back to Wall Street, and then left Wall Street, and I've been doing my own investing ever since. And that's across a number of different areas. I invest in real estate very broadly. I've done pretty much everything under the sun in real estate, from building mobile home parks to investing in multifamily in San Francisco, high-end fix and flips, low-end fix and flips, you name it, all regions of the country. And... Uh, I also do various alternative investing. I'd count mineral rights, which technically is real estate investing, 
As part of that, I've also invested in legal settlements. And then, of course, with the background on Wall Street, I have you know, a lot of experience in the standard financial markets, and that's stocks and bonds. And that's obviously what's in the headlines today as we see things whipsawing around. So I have a pretty broad base of investing experience. I have a, a unique take on it, which is mostly that people don't think about how to manage their money correctly because they group all their money together. But that's how I ended up to where I am today. I spend my time split between my blog and writing, a business that I own, which is an online e-commerce business, and then the investing side, which is mostly real estate and then also some stock and bond investing. Awesome. And and it says in, in the notes in kind of your bio that you were trained under legendary investor Ray Dalio. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so Ray was, I've I've been I've been lucky enough to train under some pretty amazing people. Ray Dalio was probably the most influential. So I joined Bridgewater, probably I'm guessing it was about a seventh the size it is today. That was out of business school. And it's an extremely different place. Uh, for those of you who've read his book or familiar with his work, you understand that he has a very different take on how to run a business, very quantitative based, very logical. And I learned a lot from Ray. He's a brilliant man. And he, he runs his ship a certain way. And I would say that the most important lesson I learned from him is how hard it is to be honest with yourself and honest with other people. And that without being honest with ourselves and without being self-aware, we can't make any changes to ourselves. So the beginning of learning is kind of understanding who you are. And that philosophy has permeated everything I do from running my own business to how I invest in real estate and why I invest in certain kinds of real estate that may not be the highest theoretical return, but are much more adapted to the sort of person I am. So Ray's an interesting guy. It was not a perfect fit for me. You know, when you have that much logic around you, it's, uh, I of course am logical, but there's a, there's an emotional side. You know, I want to, I want to kind of be friends with the people I work with. I want to, and I'm not saying people aren't friends there, but I really want to have these more, I'd say like emotional awareness. And in that environment, I think it's okay to be emotionally aware. I just don't think it's really considered. And for me, you know, there is a little bit of, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I think over there, the theory is probably more correctly for that business. It's not how you say it. It's whether you say it. And so, you know, people can come across as harsh or insulting and things like that, which I maybe have more problems with than other people, but it's, he's a brilliant man. I think it's worth reading his books and uh, he really has a unique take on the world and it's resulted in amazing success for him and his business. I love it. I love it. So, which, which I think is a testament. I brought it up because it's a, kind of a testament of your pedigree. Obviously I mentioned Harvard business school. Uh, I didn't mention that you are, you, you have a BA from Stanford university uh, and obviously having, having trained under a legendary investor like that, I think that speaks volumes. So I, I want to ask you, you know, obviously I mentioned in the intro that we're in these quote unquote uncertain times, you know, it's, it's a time when, which, which happens, right? This is, this is the fourth or fifth time in my 20 year career where we've, where we faced these uncertain times in the real estate world. And I know I thought, let, let's go, let's go back to uh, early March. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder how many people are sitting here right now uh, in real estate, not sure when their next deal is going to come, not sure how much the, 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 uh, the industry is going to slow down and how much their business is going to slow down. And they're thinking to themselves, damn it, I need a better financial strategy. I need to do a better job of stashing cash. And I just don't do it. So keeping in mind that we're talking to a very large real estate community here, uh, let's start mm -hmm. just very generally speaking. 
what advice, you know, what kind of advice would you give to somebody? So let's just say I'm asking you, I want to avoid this in the future. I don't want to be worried about a downturn in the market. What do you recommend somebody like that does? So the first thing I'd recommend, we, we can talk all we want about what we should have done in January, but we are where we are today. And so the first thing I'd say is be careful not to overreact. So this is an emotional time, right? And the biggest mistakes we make in investing are when we get emotional. The, the key here and the big insight that we've made with, and we've been through these, my co-author and I have been through these, um, these crashes as well. You know, I, I was living it on Wall Street. Uh, two different times. So I've certainly been through them. And then I recall very dramatically, believe it or not, in 1987, when the market crashed, because my father came home and talked to me about it. So certainly we've seen these before. And we tend to underestimate how we're going to react and how emotional it's going to be for us. I think that's the first thing is just reflecting on what has happened. So if I had one piece of advice, it would be do less and think more. I mean, this is a time to journal. Think about how you're feeling. What is it you wish you'd done before? Because like you said, Jeff, we've been through several of these and we're going to be through them again. And none of us got this one perfect, right? None of us did. And none of us ever will get the future one perfect. But what we can do is prepare ourselves for the next one. So my general advice is worry less about acting and worry more about learning right now because we are going to face this again. The second thing, and I think this is a really key message, is we all want to be in the stock market when it's going up. It feels great. We all want to be in real estate when it's going up. You know, cap rates are compressing, your deals are going up. And I think generally speaking, the the challenge we have with investing is that unlike most areas of our life, most areas of our life, if something feels good, you do more of it, right? Because that's a signal that something's something positive is happening. You exercise, you feel better, you do more of it. You imagine 50,000 years ago, you go fishing in a pond, you find fish, you go back to that pond again. Investing is the one place where that intuition does not serve us. So if you buy a building and it goes up in value 40% in two years, okay, but maybe your rent roll's only gone up 10%, it feels really good and you can lever up and you can take cash out. And so all the signals feel positive. What's actually happened is typically the whole market has gone up so now everything's more expensive. And so if you're actually deploying cash, things have gotten worse for you. What you really want is for things to be crashed and burning. I mean, hopefully not so much that your own cash flow is impacted dramatically, but we actually want really bad times if we're in a part of our career where we're acquiring, which most of us are. So it's an interesting counterintuitive thing. And it applies to the stock market too. The time you most want to buy is when things are you know, falling to the floor. There's a famous saying, you know, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets. So I think recognizing that bias is also extremely important. So I'd, I'd err on the side of not acting too much and thinking more. And I just recognize this counterintuitive element. As far as remaining safe, which, which was embedded in the question, I'm just not a big believer in having all of your money tied up in the stock market, all of your money tied up in real estate, all of your money tied up in this, that, whatever it is that is your favorite thing. I think Ray Dalio actually is the one who taught me this. He said, look, have independent streams of income. And that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. For real estate, for me, it means I get my income from different geographies, okay? There are certain things that are harder about that model, but there are certain things that are worse about that model. Um, I get my income from different industries. I'm not, all, I'm not all in retail. I'm not all in multifamily. 
I'm not all in office. I'm not all in medical office. Now, the thing about being an agent is you often develop expertise and you see the deals in your area. But I think diversifying, as you have the ability to go from one property to two to three to four, there's this balance between getting better at what you're doing, whether that's a fix and flip or what have you, and also diversifying. And I think what this kind of environment shows us is diversify, have a little bit of cash, maybe have some money in the stock market, maybe have some money in an apartment building, maybe have one, one building where you, know, you have a great appreciation and low cash flow, one with great cash flow, low appreciation, because it's that diversity that's really going to help you feel settled in the storm. So while we're on that topic, let's just assume uh, I have nothing going on right now in terms of investments. What is the, where is the first place? If I came to you and said, okay, you talked about the diversification, but let's, let's, let's back this up and say, uh, if you had to guess, or if you had not guess, but if you had to advise, where's the first place I should start? What's the best place I should start in real estate in terms of investment? Is it, is it commercial? Is it multifamily? Is it, is it residential? What, what would you advise and why? So it's a great question. And, you know, my opinion has changed on that a lot, Jeff, over time, because when I first started, I would look at a market and I'm a financial analyst. So I would analyze every kind of deal. I'd say, you know, what's happening to land? What's happening to single family homes? What's my cost to build versus buy? What's my cost of fixing and flipping? You know, what are the timelines? What's my IRR? And I would do all this analysis and I would pick the IRR maximizing investment. Now, I've completely moved away from that. And what I realized, it's a little bit what I was saying I learned from Ray Dalio. And it's really about knowing yourself. And so I think a more important question before you even delve into the investment is, what kind of investment is going to be a great fit for me? Okay. It turns out for me, residential investing is just not a great fit. I don't really love dealing with the emotions of people, them getting attached to a house. I just prefer dealing with corporations. And so commercial real estate works for me. In part, it's a personality thing. In part, it's also who does really well in whatever it is that you're going into, right? So if you look at who does well in single family home fix and flips, we have family friends who started with, you know, the world's tiniest house and now live in these multi-million dollar houses that they fix and flip. And part of it is they are just brilliant at putting a little bit of money into a house and making it look amazing, adding that little accessory. Some people have that talent. It's not me, but if that's you, and that's something that you're excited to do and excited to spend time on, then that's a great place to at least start looking. Uh, so I'd say it really has to be personal to you. In my case, I'm really in a place where I'm trying to minimize the time I spend so I'm looking at things where I can have a manager, triple net kind of properties. Yes, I can earn more money elsewhere, but that's what fits best with my life. So if I had to say what to look at, I'm, I don't think a particular category, look, I think retail's a problem right now, mostly because the banks don't want it. I'm sure there are great opportunities in retail, just like there are great opportunities in every field uh, or in every type of investing. And I just say, hey, pick the kind you like. And then, you know, if this is your first investment, we talked about second investments being diversifying, but pick something you like and then just make a bunch of offers, right? Because if you, if you decide that you want to do fix and flips, another big mistake I see people make is they'll go and offer on three houses and they'll pick the best one. Whereas I would just say, hey, if this is your first deal, make sure it's so idiot proof. It's not shooting fish in a barrel. 
it's shooting fish in a barrel where the fish are dead and the barrel has no water. That's how obvious you need to make it. And so, so my advice would be, if you figure out what fits for you, and you can do that a couple ways, looking at who's succeeding at it, looking at your skills, how you want to spend your time. Commercial tends to be more transactional and deal oriented. The single family tends to be more emotional feel, beauty, location, gut instinct, things like that. And then once you pick that, you know, really wait until something obvious comes along, but make a lot of offers because you could also wait 10 years for the perfect deal. But if you, it's a great time to buy. I think it's going to continue to be a great time to buy for the next few months. And if not a couple of years and just make a lot of offers because there's nothing wrong with getting a no, particularly if you're an agent, offers are a lot cheaper for you than they are for somebody like me, who's not an agent in a lot of the places I'm doing business. So. Absolutely. They have an advantage. And I think a lot of agents uh, don't even stop. Sadly, don't stop and think about that, that they have the advantage. They have the upper hand on doing this. And it's really a fantastic side potential income or investment that they, that they could have, which leads me to my next question, which is, are you a bigger yeah. fan of, of buying and holding or flipping? So early on, I sold because I didn't have enough money invested in real estate. And so the fastest way to grow my wealth to a point where I hit my minimum income need was, I mean, I was buying land on leverage and then selling it to developers. I mean, I had things where I made 14 times my money because I just buy something, I'd lever it to the hilt and then sell it off in parcels to people. So because I needed to make money quickly in order to meet my goal, which was a certain amount of income, very early on, I used a lot of leverage I bought land, which is, you know, the one thing you probably shouldn't leverage that much, that much. And I flipped out of it. Now I think I'm less interested in, in the selling, but what I would tell you is everything's always for sale at some price. I don't have emotional attachments to any particular investment I have. And so rather than having one particular rule, Hey, I buy and hold or I don't, again, I have a mix of things. I mean, there was a building people say, you know, never sell multifamily in San Francisco. Well, I sold my San Francisco, one of my San Francisco apartment buildings in January, just because it was the right time and it made sense from a tax perspective. So I'm a little bit never say never. I mean, because of the way taxes work in California, there are some incentives because of Prop 13 to, to hold things a little bit longer. But generally speaking, you know, if the price is right and you have opportunities available, you know, when you do sell out of that, it gives you an opportunity to relever your equity. So I would say I'm probably somewhere in the middle on that. And I try not to be too rule-based because I think you have to take each situation as it comes. But certainly, if you're trying to grow wealth quickly, you do have to be selling in those early days. Let me ask you something that you mentioned there when you were talking about buying land and leveraging it. What are you leveraging? You mean what percent am I levering at or what yeah. exactly? Yeah, explain what you're sure. doing. Explain what you're doing in that in those scenarios. Sure. So, and I don't do that anymore, but but it was when I was younger and more aggressive, it worked well. So there were two different models I used. One was... First of all, the only people who are going to give you land loans are going to be local community banks. So you do have to network into bankers there. And a lot of agents are going to be networked into bankers already. I'd say if you can broaden that network away from the bigger banks and into the, into the community banks, that's useful. So can you get leverage on land? Yes, you have to personally guarantee. So you know you can't buy land that's worth 10 times your wealth because someone is going to want you to sign on the dotted line. Um, and then we were putting on about 65% leverage, which is pretty high for land. In one case, in fact, so that was strategy one. Strategy two was to buy land and then develop it. 
And in a really funny turn of events, one piece of land, we bought it. We, we got a loan on it to develop it. We put together, I would ended up having zero dollars of equity in it because the money had come in from the loan to develop it. And after we came up with the development, a company came along and bought the whole thing from us for cash for about five times our, our total purchase amount. And so in that case, we actually had probably 1% equity on average in the deal. We had about 20% equity in it for 30 days before we levered up with the construction loan. And so that was just an interesting turn of events. But I'd say typically, you know, 60 to 65 is what people do. Now, obviously, there's a lot of risk in that. And so I don't know if that would be a broad recommendation. It's what worked for me to accelerate my wealth early on, but it's a pretty risky strategy. And I can tell you, land eats three meals a day, you know, unlike um, unlike an apartment building or something that's generating cash. And so you got to make sure you have, have money to support it. And you can get it a little bit with, you know, there's billboards. You can often do land leases. I, I sometimes uh, lease land to people doing construction next door because they need a place to park their trucks. So you can bring in a little bit of income, but very rare that you'd even get enough to cover, even enough to cover your property taxes. So I think land can work well in certain situations if you have cash flow coming in from other areas, or if if you just have some other diversity in your portfolio. Got it. So I want to I want to shift over to this the ULP, the Ultimate Liquidity Portfolio. Uh, also, I've read the eighty eight. 12 solution, yeah. which you, Same. which, which is claimed or is claimed in, in the notes that the best liquid strategy for the casual investor explain, yeah. let's talk about that. Let's shift away. I guess I'm assuming we're shifting a little bit away from real estate, which is probably good uh, because this is a diversification piece, but talk about the ULP. So the ULP is really the result of watching people get hurt over the last, let's call it 20 something years of being in finance and investing. Because again and again, and the first time I saw this was 2001, I saw it again in 2008. I mean, we've talked about how, you know, roughly once a decade, there's gonna be a big crash. And what I saw was when things were going up, I saw how people felt who were being left behind. I saw them jump into the market right as it hit a top. And I saw things crash around them. And people could have read every possible strategy you can imagine. You know, they read this, they read that. And in the end, when things went down, they panicked, they sold, they wanted to save their money for another day. And the combination of all this is if you actually look at how people do in the stock market, the average person underperforms the stock market index by between two and 5% per year, which means functionally, it's sort of a terrible investment for them. And so I saw this again and again, and I just started really asking the question, almost, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I started asking the question, you know, how can there be something better? And there are ways, we, we can talk about the 88-12 portfolio, which is 88% intermediate term U.S. treasuries, 12% the total U.S. stock market index. And there's some reasons why that exists. But, you know, I think that um, if you look at how people actually perform when they're in this strategy, it's typically been inflation plus three points. Stocks are typically inflation plus six points. But the amount of volatility, the emotions, the mistakes people make, the stress when you're reading the headlines, the fact that, you know, at the time you most want your money <laughs> is the time when the stock market is down 31%. At the time when you lost your job, at the time when your listings dried up, you look at your 401k and it's down 20%. You look at your retirement account, it's down 25%. So part of this, in fact, a lot of it is based on the emotional side of investing. 
So there are ways to make this more complicated and eke out a slightly greater return. But we picked two securities. They move in different directions. It's funny that it's it has 12% stocks. People like to say stocks are risky. Interestingly, the way this is balanced, this is less volatile and has higher returns than just owning US Treasury bonds, which are an incredibly secure investment. It has to do with how each one of them performs in good times and bad times. So treasuries do actually very well when times are bad. So we have a joke in our book. We talk about if you had two plants, one was called rainy and one was called sunny. And rainy always gave you, you know, or let's say chickens. The, the rainy chicken always gave you eggs on days it rained and the sunny chicken always gave you eggs on days it, um, it didn't rain. You get an egg every day, right? And so that's a little bit of what this bond stock thing does. It has a real nice balance to it. And it has over 90 years of history of just proving again and again that it's just a really nice way to store your money. And this is in comparison to really two other extremes. One would be to just have your money in, let's say, a high yield savings account, which is the very traditional advice people tell you is, hey, just put it in a high yield savings. What people don't realize is those high yield savings accounts after taxes, after inflation, they tend to lose money, which is really unfortunate. And so you go to get that money and it's worth less than it was when you put it in there. And so that's what we're trying to avoid. At the other extreme, you have stocks, which are this extremely emotional and volatile investment. And they have a place in our lives. They have a place in our retirement portfolio. But for the job of, hey, I have cash. It's sitting there waiting to, let's say, you know, invest in the next real estate opportunity. Could be invest in a baseball card collection. It could be just to cover expenses if your roof caves in. But how do you stash that emergency fund cash in a, in a way that feels safe, steady, growing, consistent? The best place we've found is the ULP, which is this 8812 portfolio. I love it. I love it. So if somebody wanted to get deeper into this, how would they do that? I mean, would, do you guys do you guys actually advise? How, what what uh, how does that work when, when it comes to working with you? Sure. So so look, the beautiful thing about this is I'm not trying to enrich myself from this. This is just a message that I felt after my after seeing friends, family, acquaintances lose their shirts. I really just felt the need to put this out there. And the reception has been amazing. I mean, we we just did not expect to get this much interest, this much excitement, because I think people have been doing things uh, the same way for so long. And frankly, this wasn't available before for the individual investor. You would have to go to an investment advisor. You'd have to go hire somebody to do this. But what's happened, and a little bit of this is happening in real estate as well, is the cost of transactions keeps going down. So it used to be that there were commissions, there were brokerage fees, there was something called a bid-ask spread. It was very expensive to invest your money in every single stock in America. It would be very expensive to hold 11,000 different treasury bonds. Now you can do it for, if you put a thousand bucks in, it'll cost you, you know, under a dollar a year to hold that portfolio. So, so we've had a lot of financial innovation and the strategies haven't caught up. How do you do it? The book explains it, but you really buy... 88% in, I, on my blog, upwarding.com, you can read posts about this. It's 88% in intermediate term treasuries and 12% in the total stock market index. I talk on my blog about which particular index you should buy. Vanguard has some funds. Fidelity has some funds. They're all now free to trade at every major brokerage. So it's really somewhat up to you what you, what you want to do. Some people prefer Fidelity because you can buy fractional shares, but that's really splitting hairs. Ultimately, if you put 88% in intermediate term bonds, 12% in equities. That is a portfolio that 
preserves money better than stocks, better than cash over numerous periods, whether it's in a given month or a given year or a given three-year period. Now, I would say if you're investing for 20 years for retirement, it might not be for that, but it's for that middle bucket of cash where it's not for the long term, it's not for paying your daily bills, but it's, you know, hopefully to, you know, have an opportunity come up or just to, like I said, you know, your, your dog needs to go to the vet and you need to pull some money out. You're not selling stocks at the bottom uh, in the middle of the panic. I like it. So, you know, again, I've mentioned the, the times that we're in right now. Is there a certain, like, let's just say for the next, you know, roughly six, seven, eight months this year, what is it that you're recommending to clients or, or advising to people that come to you and say, okay, uh, we just, you know, we're, we're, we're for all intents and purposes, I feel like we're coming out of it, right? And and hopefully stay out of it. That's that's the that's the one thing we don't know. Uh, but where where do you what do you think we should do or I should do uh, going forward uh, for the remaining portion of the year? And let's just assume uh, you're talking to a real estate agent who. Uh, was 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 a solid, a strong producer, and they're going to see a dip in their income as a result of of the slowdown, but not massively, not as bad as we thought. But it's kind of you know had me pull back a little bit, and I'm realizing crap. I got to be better about this. So, where should I go like now? What what should I be doing right now for the remainder of 2020 uh, to put myself in a better position of having more cash stashed? So look, I having a plan is the most important thing and sticking to that plan. And what we all realize in panics is that we didn't have a plan. So the first thing I'd say is create a plan where you say to yourself, when it's above X, I will save you know some portion of it in an opportunity fund, in a stash that cash kind of fund, and you know, manage your expenses accordingly. As far as looking to looking to the future, I would say now is the time to be turning over a lot of rocks because I think we're much more likely to find exciting and interesting things under the rocks, but we just don't know which one is happen. So in a place where, look, some people need to be playing defense right now. They're out of a job. They're just trying to get a job back. You know, this is not the time for that person to be aggressively going after something, unless it's a dream business they want to start forever. I mean, there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, let's take away the people who just need to play defense to survive and put food on the table, okay? To the extent you have a little bit of opportunity there, there these times when they come, they people always like to label things, this is bad, this is good. But what always happens is change, right? And so let's just look at the landscape right now. It would probably be a terrible time to own an AMC movie theater because AMC is about to go broke, okay? So somebody who happened to be you know, owning, someone having to own a movie theater, they're in, they're in big trouble. It may turn out to be a great time to, you know, own next to an Amazon, own land next to an Amazon warehouse, for example. Uh, you know, there's a lot more internet traffic. You know, maybe, maybe um, the people who, you know, have servers, for example. Medical's going through a transition. Hospitals are in trouble, but I think when they come back, we'll have a different mix of things there. So, there are just tons of opportunities in real estate. Likewise, you know, I'm a little nervous about the stock market. The best thing to do always is put a little bit of money to work every month if you're going to be doing uh, any extensive stock market investing. And I keep it real simple, like the index funds that I suggest. But, you know, the most, the most important thing we can do is just be exposed to more opportunities. So let people know what it is you're looking for. If, you, if now's the time you really want to fix and flip in your neighborhood, 
let everyone you know, look, tell, tell everyone you know you're looking for a fix and flip. Someone's gonna have an uncle who died or, you know, something's gonna happen where something falls in your lap. But if you don't let people know, if you don't network, if you're not turning over those rocks, those opportunities are gonna go to somebody else. So what do you do in the next six months? This is gonna be a prime time for opportunity because anytime there's a change in the world, there are new winners and new losers. And the people who win are the ones who position themselves at that nexus of opportunity, knowing what they wanted, having a plan and making that plan happen. And that can be you, that can be anyone on this podcast. I mean, the, the best the best real estate businesses were always started in times like this, every single one. Glad you said that because we have been saying this now for 60 days. Uh, we said it when we came right out of this or when we went right into it was, you know, this is a time of opportunity, not a time of retraction, not a time uh, to, to go defense. It's actually a time to go more offensive um, because there's opportunity. There's all, and you said it, a lot of other of our guests have said it on webinars, on podcasts. And, and there's a recurring theme here, folks. This is what I want you to understand and hear that we're not just interviewing, you know, the, the same people over and over, or just real estate people or, um, you know, people that come in the same circles. Chris is, is not in our circle. And I mean that in the best way, because it, it's, it's a diversification of knowledge, it's diversification of content, right? And that's part of the reason why we do this, because you need to hear this, uh, that as an agent, and I believe this, Chris, and I'm probably on, on the aggressive side, but, and I tell my people, I actually run a mortgage branch uh, for a pretty big branch for a company. And I keep telling my people that everybody I'm talking to in our side of the industry is, it's, it's kind of a defensive mindset is, okay, we need to plan ahead. We're really busy right now because of refis and all that jazz, but I need to go defensive. I'm not going to hire because I'm not sure if I'm going to have to lay off. And we have the complete different mentality, which is, Pedal, metal, let's go. Like now now's the, the time, time to get the best people, yes, right? Right. Um, you know, the kind of the people, you, you just have to be aware of the kinds of things that are changing. So one thing I recommend to people when there is a change like this is write down the changes that you're seeing in the world. And it could be as simple as, hey, I have more cardboard boxes at my house now than I ever did, right? It could be like, hey, you know, takeout containers. Like I'm seeing a lot of takeout containers. It could be, you know, I'm using this thing Zoom a lot more. It could be, you know, I'm ordering from Amazon a lot more. And if you make note of these changes, these are little signals for what's changing in the world. And it'll give you kind of this broad intuition. And somehow then when you're looking, I mean, maybe people are using, uh, you know, maybe something happens with like ant repellent. I mean, it could be anything, right? Or people are going to dollar stores more because that's the only place that doesn't have a line. Whatever that is, there is always an investable theme, not necessarily that comes out of any one insight, right? So you may say, hey, I have a lot more cardboard boxes. They mean that might not tell you something. But then maybe you see some industrial business that is, you know, that has, that's, that's uh, doing a sale lease back of their building. Maybe their financials aren't that strong, but you realize that their sales have probably gone up 30% and their prices have probably gone up 15% because they sell to the box industry. I'm just making it up, right? But you were able to see that deal because you were aware, you looked around at the world, you, you read articles, you talked to people, and you network. That's why I keep saying turning over stones because also in the process of turning over these stones, you're gonna be learning because you know each broker, each person you talk to, each, each selling or each seller will have some kind of perspective and you'll sort of put together this worldview and the faster you can come around to a new worldview and a new perspective 
on investing, the better, because you're going to be the first one to the table and perhaps the only one at the table. A deal, a, actually a big commercial deal just came back to me today. And I think it's really interesting. It doesn't look like it's the kind of thing that gets impacted by COVID. You know, it's in a state that I think is going to get, it, they're in good shape. You know, there, there are a lot of things, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I hope I don't have COVID. There are a lot of things that um, are, are, are really favorable for that deal. And the numbers are extremely compelling. Now, this was a deal I looked at four months ago and then decided to pass on it, but now it's at a lower price. So again, it was a rock I turned over. It was not one that I thought would come back, but here it is again, um, four months later and it's looking great. Love it. Awesome. Awesome. So we're having, we're running a little, a little long on time here. We're getting to the, to a little long on time. So I want to yeah. make sure that you have a chance to kind of a, give some final thoughts, B, uh, talk about any places where you suggest people that c- they can go and and you mentioned your blog. I'd like you to mention it again. Uh, any places they can go to connect with you or connect with your material uh, beyond the blog, or is is there is that the best place for it? Uh, regurgitate that, and then also, uh, you know, what kind of final thoughts do you have for real estate agent? And I realize again, this was fairly broad, but I think this has been phenomenal uh, strategic advice that 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 real realtors need to hear. Um, so, what do, what do you have for us? Okay, so my blog is upwarding.com, U-P-W-A-R-D-I-N-G.com. What people actually like the most of what I do, I post on the blog every couple of weeks. I post an article and maybe about a quarter of those articles are about real estate and another quarter about investing. And then I have some random things about like Teslas and stuff like that. So uh, the best, the, the, I should say my most popular product is my weekly newsletter. And this was something I just started randomly part of, as part of the blog, but now it's really the most popular thing I have. And it's just a 90-second read every Friday. There's usually one piece of investing advice. There's usually a quote. There's usually something on mindfulness, something on health, and then something random. It could be a picture of an Antarctic explorer and a lesson I learned from him. So it's five quick thoughts, 90 seconds. I really recommend signing up for the newsletter. Now, as far as advice going forward for for real estate agents, I would just say real estate is and always is, has been and always will be a great business. And I think sometimes we can get caught in the storm of the moment, but really in the end, America, productivity, this is an unstoppable country. And what drives real estate values is the collective value of everyone doing a million little things to be more beneficial to society every every passing year. And it's why long distance phone calls used to cost a buck and now they're free. And why internet is a million times faster. This is a progressive, productive country. Real estate is a wonderful asset. It's well supported. And you know, it, hopefully we can weather this brief storm, but I think the opportunities are tremendous. I think that it's it's always a great time to be in real estate. If you pick things carefully, you can't go wrong. It's a wonderful business to be in. It's a human connected business. And it's a place where you can really express yourself, whether that's creatively through the way you invest. You know, there's just a million ways to get back through it. And uh, I just say, keep going at that intersection of the things that interest you and the things you can make money at. And you're going you're gonna to have a wonderful career. And if the next few months are challenging, you know, view that as a time to reflect, refresh, and set a new strategy for the future because we can try to swim back upstream to what we think the old normal was, or we can swim with the stream to a future that 
I think will hold greatness for all of us. I love it. I love it. And I have one last question for you. What is your next play? Like, what do you have coming down the pike? I think it'd be interesting to know what's, what's coming for you. So I, I'm very biased towards real estate typically, and I've become more so over time. I did because, because of what happened in March, because there was such chaos in the stock market, I did put a lot of money to work in the stock market. I had a particular bent towards gaming companies like Hasbro. I, I bought a company called BJ's Restaurants, which had just been absolutely killed just with the notion that if, if restaurants go bankrupt, it's probably going to be the local ones and the chains are going to be okay. So a lot of that I've done, which is more than I usually would do. I'm, I'm actually looking back into real estate now. And I think my next play is going to be something um, likely industrial. And it's just because I think in, you know, I like, I like small scale industrial uh, multiple format, partly because it's just diversifying for me. I mean, I do have a lot of industrial, but Right now, I think I'm I'm balanced a little bit more towards office. I have I think office is going to still be around, but that will change a little bit. So I'm not looking for more office. I've got some great tenants in office. And look, I think multifamily cities a little is a little risky, but yeah, I'm probably looking at industrial. And really, it'll be deal by deal, though. I mean, I'll I'll buy anything if if it looks like a great deal. And so just keep my eyes open and turning rocks over. Are you not concerned about uh, this whole, you know, working from home thing is not going to impact some of those businesses that that could be your tenants? So my office tenants are a little different. Uh, for example, I own a drug rehab center. So that's technically listed as medical office, but it's almost residential in that way. I also have one where a government agency is that, you know, deals with foster kids. So that one is a little less exposed. Another one, they really need to be on site. It's a really working office with labs and things like that. So again, I've tried to have these offices where they really need to be there. I was worried about work from home when I was buying these things. And so I purposely avoided, you know, the more traditional office setups and went for the more quirky ones where I thought they really had to have a reason to be there. And there was no way they could abandon it. I mean, in one, these guys are right by an airport where they fly their private jet in every week. Right. So uh, it's the only building they can be in right there. So I kind of knew they were locked in. So I'm not super worried about my offices, office in general. Look, it'll change. But who knows? You know, we may decide that 100 square feet per person isn't enough. So maybe you need more space. I don't know. I think there are a lot of factors that go into these. And I think simply saying it's work from home, people are going to not be in offices. I think there are other changes that happen that might go the other way. So I'm I'm a little bit wait and see on that because I'm not quite as convinced it's going to be as devastating as people think. People often need to be in an office. I don't disagree. And I think people are yearning for that more than ever. So it'll be interesting to see how we come out of it. Although again, I'm in an industry where we have realized that we're, we're just as efficient. It works just fine. So it makes you rethink. It makes you think, okay, maybe we could be a little bit more efficient or do things a little bit differently. So neither here nor there. It's industry by industry for sure. And business by business. Um, you know, I don't think tech companies need as much space as they do in Silicon Valley. But I think if you're, I think if you're an ad agency, you probably need it. Absolutely, creative <laughs> right? process happens live. Right, right. Um, one more, one more question, and I'm trying, I was trying sure. to wrap this up, but you just no, keep it's okay. Sparking them. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, the the urban, um, you know, I think you said multifamily uh, was maybe not, was maybe a little riskier, uh, something to that effect. What did you mean by that, or why do you feel that way? Well, they're they're really probably two main reasons I'm saying it. 
One is multifamily has had a massive run. If you just look at the cap rate compression in multifamily, multifamily went from looking like all other commercial to, you know, the world's darling. And so tons of people were pouring money into, especially high-end multifamily in some of these coastal cities. Just a lot of money went in. A lot of products have been developed. A lot of, you know, this. a lot of the millennials live in condos and things like that. A lot of foreigners were buying apartments in the U.S. And look, that was a bit of a trend. There was cheap financing. There still is cheap financing. But, you know, I think, I think that it's a little overbuilt. The cap rates are really low. And I just talked to her building stuff in San Francisco for exorbitant prices. So uh, between too much supply and then on the other side, I think demand, you know, if you watch a movie right now and you see, you know, people at a wedding or, you know, people in a crowded street, are you kind of asking yourself like, wow, that's crazy in the time of COVID, right? Like we're seeing people shake hands and hug and, and kiss and brush by each other in tight restaurants. And, you know, we all have this instinctive reaction now against crowds and, I would say that my friends who live in San Francisco, the city near me, I live in the suburbs, they're really wanting to get out and they're finding ways to get out. And so I think that as a general preference, people will probably tend to want a little bit more space of their own. We're all spending more time with our families now. And so uh, it's probably more of a time to be looking at the suburbs than, than multifamily. So part of it is a timing, just a trend, part of it and just the supply dynamics and the prices. And part of it is just, look, it seems to me like at least in the shortish term that there will be some pressure for people to be looking elsewhere. Now, once you build it, people tend to move into those condos. So I don't think there will be a massive, massive change. But at the margin, you know, I'd rather be owning suburban land than, than a condo in San Francisco. Awesome. Awesome. And obviously also keeping in mind that that in Chris's world, he's talking more Northern California, whereas obviously every market's a little bit different as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which, Good which clarification. Is, Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chris, this has been fantastic. If you could repeat one more time, I know it's upwarding.com and it's U-P-W-A-R-D-I-N-G.com. You also mentioned your newsletter. How can they, how can they sign up for that? So if you go to upwarding.com, it'll prompt you to sign up for the newsletter. The book is called How to Stash That Cash, howtostashthatcash.com. You can also just buy it on Amazon, How to Stash That Cash, or you can look me up as an author and it'll point you right to there. And like I said, it's been doing great. People seem to love it. It's a pretty short book. It's 90 pages with some charts. And you know, I think it just it'll give you a way of thinking about investing that'll let you sleep at night a little bit better, which for me, that's the most important thing is I just don't like seeing people panic and I've seen it again and again, even in this most recent thing. So if I can make 5,000 people sleep better at night, that's a nice dent in the world. And I'm, I'm happy for that. So I really recommend you go there and uh, would love to have you guys read, read the book or just reach out to me through my blog. I do read every message that comes in. So I'd love to hear from you. Thanks guys. Awesome. Chris, I really appreciate you once again. Uh, I'm going to mention it one more time, upwording.com. Uh, go check it out. Chris, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. It's great to make your acquaintance and uh, hopefully we cross paths again in the future. Thanks, Jeff. You're doing great work with us. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you. Lab Coat Agents Podcast.